Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's podcast interview with Daryl Bodner, CIO at North Country Healthcare. In this segment, Bodner talks about the unique circumstances in which North Country Healthcare was formed and how its member facilities have benefited. He also discusses why it's so important to remove as much variance as possible from clinical systems, how COVID is forcing his team to reevaluate their virtual care platform, and what he believes is the biggest threat facing rural and small health systems. You know, every industry needs a catalyst, that, that moment to do it. And, and ours, unfortunately, was COVID. First of all, it, it put people back on their heels and it made them, they had to focus on priorities. The, the healthcare industry, as much as they'd want to say, are, are challenged by regulatory requirements in a variety of different things. But as far as I can tell you, they've never been as disrupted as they just were and as we still are coming out mm-hmm. of this. And it hit right to the core. What was fundamental for a revenue source no longer is. And you were forced to be dynamic and there were levels of competition coming in from areas and still are that you never expected. Most of that due to virtual care delivery, but also some of the digital giants that are out there. And it, it's just a very unique time. And I honestly think there's going to be some serious casualties from this as we go forward. Yeah, I agree. It really has been. And what I want to do first, though, is talk a little bit about North Country Healthcare, because this is a model that I think is unique. I think it's a pretty cool story of like how this came together and and what it's doing. So can you talk a bit about that, how North Country Healthcare is kind of set up? Yeah, and I'll give you the, the good and the bad. When North Country Healthcare first came together, it was a collection of four critical access hospitals and a home health agency. Mm-hmm. And they came together because we're geographically and, and operationally very, very similar. And we're serving the same patient population. And competitiveness in terms of recruitment of physicians and offerings of services was really unsustainable. I mean, that's an industry-wide thing. So a lot of organizations have partnered through more traditional merger and acquisition style things to larger affiliate hospitals. And, you know, some of those tertiary care centers and and just, just bigger pieces, or they get swallowed up by the HCAs and just a variety of different things. And we didn't want any of that. So the the CEOs, and there were some that were in a retirement mode and were thinking of leaving, decided to come together and say, let's try to position ourselves so that we can work collaboratively. Now, unfortunately, um, the way that the agreements were written, there was an opt-out piece after three years to where any organization who felt that it wasn't in their best interest could leave. And one of the four hospitals, Littleton Regional Hospital in our area, did decide to take that opportunity. So they departed. So the three hospitals that were remaining, which were Weeks, Androscoggin Valley Hospital and Upper Connecticut Valley Hospital, along with the home health in hospice arm of North Country Home Health and Hospice, decided to stay together. And we are bound together by those. So at the time when this first happened about three to four years ago, probably four to five years ago now, the organizations were, like I said, there were some retirements occurring. So none of the original leadership that were part of this is still here. It's all net new. And what made that really nice was, is that they came in with no historical baggage or I don't want to say loyalties because they have loyalties to their own organizations, but they just didn't have to, to commit to some of those historical requirements. And so they, they came forward knowing that we were coming together as a system rather than reluctantly being dragged into one. And um, yeah. so that was a primary focus. 
so they came together. They have we have a CEO that sits over us. We have uh, president CEOs and each individual affiliate member. And each individual affiliate has a bit of autonomy, but we leverage economies of scale and, and structure to recruit, to to get operational efficiencies, to get financial benefits from contractual negotiations, those types of things. And now we we solidified on a single EMR across the systems. And of course, we're still reeling from the transitions and no EMR transition is, is good, but we're getting there. We're, we're only six months into this piece. And as you get into that period of time, actually almost seven months now, you start to gain some efficiencies. You start to see things. And after, you know, I would say probably a year or two to maybe 18 months, we'll start to really start to optimize our systems. And the benefit of that is removing any variance from the process and having a, a single system to where providers can can share their services across multiple entities without having to learn new systems or or to even learn new templates and workflows and documentation. So that's why we try to remove as much variance from the process as we can. Now, there are certain areas, depending on the service line, where there will be uniqueness areas to that. But for the most part, we try to do that. And the idea is just, to be honest with you, is to provide better services, additional services that we couldn't independently attract Mm -hmm. more physicians and improve the overall outcome of our patients because our geography, we're really intimately involved with our patient population. Can you get into that a little bit more? Is this just about being more of a rural area? Well, it it is rural. There's no doubt Mm -hmm. about that. And there's challenges that come with that transportation and and even some cases communication, which we're working with the state and federal government on delivering better broadband and cellular coverage so that we can deliver telehealth, virtual care. But the patient population in the state of New Hampshire, statistically, it's the poorest. Um, and it's probably mm-hmm. also the unhealthiest in terms of chronic disease and other items. So it's not lucrative from a financial perspective, yeah. but that's not our goal. Our goal is just to provide sustainable care here. And we're doing that. We're looking at, there was a certain, I guess it's a primary care population that was being underserved. It's not a good profitability item for us, but we're moving forward with that. We're looking forward at behavioral health, behavioral health and substance abuse is a challenge in the area. And we're actually exploring bringing onboarding inpatient behavioral health because the state absolutely needs beds. They don't have enough beds. And and like in many areas of the country, patients who who should be getting certain kinds of care are waiting in EDs and hospital rooms for services that are best offered in those mental health facilities. So we're looking at trying to do that. It has never made money for anybody anywhere it's ever done, which is why there's a lack of those. But that's not our goal. Our goal is just to try to make sure that we're delivering the type of care that needs to be done. And you sort of do it in a nonprofit world at the sacrifice of profits for other areas. So those ones that are profitable help subsidize the others. It's just an interesting piece. But I have never been myself personally happier to be in the role I am because it's a great time. We've got these wonderful leaders that have come into play that want to improve care. We're starting to look heavily at technology to to help deliver that for obvious reasons, cost savings, but also effectiveness and and deliverables. So yeah, it's a really great time for me, at least, to be able to look at this. It's one of the most stressful times you'll ever go through putting in an EMR, and I'm sure I'm I'm balding (laughs) and graying because of it, but I absolutely love it. (laughs) Right. Now, in terms of the EHR you're using Meditech, right? Meditech Expanse? Correct. Okay. So what's the status now as far as which sites are, um, are the hospitals all on it at this point or are they you are. kind of in that process? Yep. All okay. three hospitals are on the system at this time covering acute and ambulatory. 
From the hospital yeah. perspective, yes, we are all on those, those systems, like I said, in both the acute, ambulatory, and ED environments. One instance of the system, so it's not multiples talking. And we went live uh, December 1st of 2020. Okay. Well, there are always challenges within EHR implementation, but having to deal with the pandemic as well, is that something that threw in an extra wrench or how did you guys navigate that? It did. So when we first started, we began the implementation roughly in November of 2019, as we started to really gear things up with a fairly more robust rollout at the beginning of 2020. Of course, the pandemic hit. So we hit the pause button briefly for about four to six weeks. Fortunately, at the time, we didn't see the impacts locally of the widespread outbreak of COVID-19. We had minimal patient involvement. We didn't have any inpatients. So we said, let's pick it back up and go. And we, we were originally going to be going live for the beginning of our fiscal year, which would have been October 1st. And we delayed it until December 1st which was still a rapid implementation under yeah. any circumstances. <laughs> but we decided to go forth because the cost of not doing so, and we, were, we didn't know what COVID was going to bring, but we knew that we could better handle it by being on a single system. And as we started to look at vaccination rollouts this year, that became ever clear. It was the right decision for us to come together with that because we were better able to manage our patient population. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and I, I know that in speaking with some other CIOs, we've seen that not having that single instance, that has really proven so challenging during COVID, the different uh, you know, phases of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that that's had a, had a significant impact. As a whole, care coordination, of course, with, with a single system is much, much better. And there's no doubt that the rollout of vaccines was key to that. It fell right into care coordination, particularly when you're looking at, at a shared patient population. And it allowed us to move more rapidly to get those vaccines delivered. Yeah. And then uh, as far as virtual care, a lot of people obviously had to have that ramp up pretty quickly. But is that something that is pretty uh, prominent where you are? So it is and it isn't. And adoption is an interesting thing. So what we did oh, see was yeah. the, the immediate ramp up, as everybody saw, and piecing things together, a lot of Zoom and, and, and clinical level you know, software being used. So although it still works well and we still do a fair amount of, of virtual care, particularly in our behavioral health areas, it's tailored off a little bit and people have come back into the, into the physician offices. I think some of that's attributed to our geographic. I think some of it's the patient population. They feel more comfortable. But there still is telehealth out there. The problem with it is, is it's just not reimbursed at rates that were, were, mm -hmm. you know, we're we don't encourage it as much because of some of the rates that are provided. Yeah. But it's a reality and it's there and it's still going. And now that we've got a single EMR, we're coming back in and reevaluating what our virtual care platform looks like. We certainly know a lot more about it now and what areas are, are more lucrative and acceptable to the, the service. So we're, uh, we're sort of going to reevaluate what tools we're using for those and how we push those, those tools out. Clearly, one area that sort of falls under that umbrella for us is remote patient monitoring, both from our home health area, but because of some of the chronic disease management that we have to deal with, remote patient monitoring, which would feed into our EMR directly through our patient portal. And we have active pilots for those going on as we speak to try to make sure that we're going to, we can hopefully 
prevent uh, you know, a, a more longitudinal look at our patients without having to have them come in for those visits. Once again, reimbursement is the key on some of these, but yeah. I'm, seeing, I'm seeing across the board a shift from our payers. Our payers are getting into this virtual care and remote patient monitoring business themselves, which is, is something that they may cut out primary care when it comes to some of these just based on the evolution. Yeah which is to me is what I think is one of our biggest threats because I mentioned we've been protected by the geography of, of our area. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at primary care being offered by some of the larger healthcare providers, or as I mentioned before, some of the digital giants that are out there, it's it's going to be a new level of competition that we've never dealt with before. And with payers getting into the market, I mean, to me, that's, that's a, a really big risk for rural healthcare. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't think that that's something that's really been uh, brought to the forefront yet, but we'll probably start to hear more about that going forward. Well, I mean, Amazon right now is piloting out doing delivering virtual care and mental health services. Yeah. You know, what is it? I think they have a million employees. If they can pull that off, as they've done with many of their other ventures, or Walmart with their prescriptions, it wouldn't take much for, for primary care. And of course, there's Walgreens is playing into this. I mean, even I think Best Buy is dealing in the remote patient monitoring realm because it's, it's, it's a lucrative opportunity. Unfortunately, that's the driving referral and revenue process for rural hospitals to stay in the play is through primary care and, and, and specialty services. So to me, it, it's a bigger risk. We'll see how that pans out. We'll see. There does seem to be a comfort level across the industry, though, with, with virtual care, particularly for our younger generation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And even from a personal standpoint, to see how that's changed in the past year has been (laughs) astonishing. It's convenience. I mean, I think consumer demand, as we've seen in every other industry, I mean, my God, when the pandemic hit and we didn't get Amazon two-day shipping, the country was up in arms, you know, the toilet paper supplies were, were limited. To me, when you see that, there was a level of consumerism that's already out there that who goes to a bank? Who goes to an insurance company? You know, you don't do any of those things in person anymore. And in although healthcare, for the most part, does require certain levels of physical interaction, there's a big subset mm-hmm. of care delivery that doesn't require that. And I think that a yeah. lot of people are looking at that and they're becoming more comfortable with it. And if you do it right, you can deliver 24-7 coverage. So when your your child has a fever at two o'clock in the morning, you don't have to schedule for a day or two or go see a, a physician that you might not consider to be of a caliber that you're comfortable with. You can bring one up online and um, maybe get that taken care of without even disrupting your life. And I think that's what we've all become accustomed to and healthcare is prime for it. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.